ranked one of America's top research universities, the University of Wisconsin-Milwaukee plays a vital role in shaping the future of Milwaukee and Wisconsin. UWM's diversity, academic excellence, and world-class research contribute to the region's economic development and quality of life. Meet the people behind the creativity and discoveries on UWM Today. Here's the host, Tom Lujak, Vice Chancellor of University Relations. Over the years, we've hosted a wide array of scientists and researchers from UWM School of Freshwater Sciences on this program. The school is the only one of its kind in the United States, and the work it's doing to better understand and preserve our freshwater resources is invaluable. But those breakthroughs that occur in research labs are only part of the solution to our water problems. If regulations and laws don't change to keep up with the science, society is not any better off. On this edition of UWM Today, we're going to focus on UWM's Center for Water Policy. The center has a new director, Melissa Scanlon, and she's our guest on this week's edition of the program. Welcome, Melissa, and congratulations on your recent appointment to run UWM's Water Policy Center. Thank you. It's great to be here today. Melissa, how many, it may be tough to answer this question, but it it occurs to me as we think about all the research that's being done around water, how many missed opportunities do you think there are when uh, scientists uh, go ahead and come up with a discovery or or, or develop new knowledge out of the lab and and that work doesn't result in any changes to policies or regulations? Is, Is that necessarily a missed opportunity? Um, well, any anything like that it is too many missed opportunities, right? We, we want to make sure that scientific discoveries are in communication with uh, the people who are making policies so that we can advance as a society. And that's part of the role of the Center for Water Policy. Our, our mission is to provide interdisciplinary policy solutions Uh, that are geared towards protecting, restoring, and conserving freshwater resources. So we really want to be putting the scientists into communication with policymakers and working with policymakers to translate the science into actual on-the-ground changes to laws and regulations so that our laws and regulations reflect the latest science. So how do you do that in terms of working with a scientist, for example, working on nanoparticles? Uh, you know, we've got Rebecca Clapper in, in, in her lab uh, and some of the uh, groundbreaking work that she's involved in. Is it, is it your job to introduce them to the people who are writing the laws that determine, you know, how much of those particles should be put into the waterway? Or do you take those findings yourself and, uh, and talk to policymakers? Well, you know, it, it can happen in a number of different ways, and uh, one there are different steps in this, and part of it is science communication, so understanding what Dr. Clapper is doing with nanoparticles, as you use that example, and uh, translating that into um, something that you and I and others can understand about the science, and Then the next step really is looking at what the laws and regulations are that would be able to protect us from whether it's pharmaceuticals or other emerging contaminants and being able to bring um, the scientists into that policy uh, debate and 
uh, not to advocate on one side or another, but to be able to really speak plainly to policymakers so that they can make the decisions uh, that are based on the best available science. Is it your experience that the policymakers are open to hearing the story of what that research has uncovered? Well, I think that remains to be seen. I started in this job in January, and I'm hopeful that they will be. Um, But you know, tune in again for another segment of this story in a year, and I'll give you an update. <laughs> yeah, you, you, we can't predict the future, can we? Um, as you look at the Center for Water Policy, as I mentioned a moment ago, you're working with scientists in the School of Freshwater Science. Are, are you going to be sponsoring any uh, research that will be done specifically out of the center itself, uh, or will you be focusing primarily on the output of the people who are working in those dozens of laboratories across campus? Um, We're going to also be doing our own research. And right now we are trying to bring in grants to fund a new project that would focus on increasing people's appreciation of coastal recreational resources. So we in Milwaukee live right next to this gem, right, of Lake Michigan. And uh, for those of us who know it, we love it um, and we want to protect it. And so I think the more we can introduce people to our coastal resources, the better in terms of having them be interested in protecting them and be interested in learning about the science and what we know about the fisheries and invasive species and the things that we're doing that can protect or harm them. Uh, So one of the projects that we want to look at is uh, the ability to create um, more of a a regional awareness and appreciation for the Great Lakes and uh, by creating a Great Lakes trail that would be multimodal um, biking and uh, walking on the uplands sometimes on the beach where that's available and certainly boating around the Great Lakes and having that all connected. Um, But part of our research that we're really interested in related to this trail is whether all of us uh, are accessing coastal resources, regardless of our race or um, ethnic backgrounds. And uh, so our research is going to be into um, whether or not there's equity and diversity and inclusion in recreating along the coastline. And if there are barriers that exist, how those can be removed so that we can all uh, access the beaches and be able to enjoy the Great Lakes in in a similar manner. Yeah, access is so important. And and you remind me of of a story I heard a few years ago from some of the scientists at the School of Freshwater Science who work at the UWM Harbor campus down off of Greenfield Avenue. And they were describing um, conversations with kids from uh, the the central part of, of the city of Milwaukee who, until they came down for a summer program, had never been on the lake. Some of them had never actually driven or been driven the four or five miles from their home uh, to the lake itself. So um, just even being exposed to that incredible resource is something we shouldn't take for granted, is it? No, it's not. And, you know, what you're, the story you just conveyed is uh, 
similar to other anecdotes that we have heard as well, but there hasn't really been data collected on this in Wisconsin. And so um, the Department of Natural Resources and Department of Tourism are really interested in knowing the answer to this if, if, and also making sure that we're increasing um, diversity and inclusion in accessing our coastal resources. So the research that we'll be doing will be able to contribute to understanding in that area. Um, and, you know, a significant portion of Wisconsin's communities of color live in urban areas, uh, like you, you were just mentioning with Milwaukee. Uh, and we want to know if there are uh, physical barriers, transportation barriers, cultural barriers to accessing the beaches and the coastal assets that are here um, and really should be shared amongst all of us. Yeah, because if a person doesn't appreciate how valuable a resource like Lake Michigan is, it's unlikely that they're going to be an advocate for protecting it, correct? Right. Um, and we're, we're going to be uh, partnering on this research with a local consulting cooperative, Derute. Uh, so they will be helping us conduct the interviews and focus groups in Milwaukee and some of the other uh, coastal communities along the Great Lakes shoreline. Now, I understand in, in the last year there was a, a scholar in residence in, in the Center for Water Policy. Tell us a little bit about that program. So... Um, Dr. Margaret Newton was our water policy scholar last year, and she is a UWM professor of English. She led, as a scholar with us, she led a research team that mapped the Native American nations that speak the Anishinaabe language and showed their proximity and connections to the Great Lakes. Really interesting um, maps that are available online that she produced through that project. And we uh, hosted her in on World Water Day in an event that was co-sponsored with UWM Digital Humanities Lab and the Electaquini Institute uh, for American Indian Education. So we were able to bring that research to the public through a virtual gathering, and uh, there's a video of it now on our website. So um, the scholars are people who we who are within UW system um, who we can sponsor through a grant and help uh, promote their work through those kind of public events when the work product is finished. Oh, that's really, really important. Speaking of scholars, uh, we should tell our listeners that last year before you became uh, or took over the job of being director of the Center for Water Policy, you were a Fulbright senior scholar yourself. I guess you spent, what, the last year in Spain? And uh, and uh, the outcome of it was a book that is about to uh, be published this spring. The I think it's called Prosperity in the Fossil-Free Economy, Cooperatives and the Design of Sustainable Businesses. Tell us a bit about the book. Oh, sure. Thanks for asking. Um that was a wonderful opportunity uh, to go as a Fulbright scholar to Spain in 2019. And I researched cutting edge businesses that were leading the way in sustainability practices. And uh, then I came back to the U.S. and uh, continued the research here and identified sustainability uh, leaders here. And 
even though I wasn't in Wisconsin at the time, uh, a couple of them are founded in this state. So it's it's great to get back here. And um, it's just interesting how it turned out that some of my case studies are from this state as well. Uh, so the book is um, being published by Yale University Press, and it's going to be out in September. Uh, and it's really providing a legal blueprint for creating an alternative corporate business model, uh, focusing on cooperatives and uh, looking at businesses to be conduits for change as we move into this next economy that we need to build, uh, which will be a very different economy, one that's not powered by fossil fuels. Uh, And so the book is providing not only um, theoretical or scholarly work, but it's telling you stories um, and giving giving examples of leading businesses that are already out there doing this uh, to make this uh, transition much more real for people. Give us a couple of examples of, of cooperatives that, that are on a, a scale large enough to, to make a difference. Oh, sure. Um, well, if you're talking about just cooperatives in general, they're much more common than you might think. Uh, I, it, for listeners in this area, we, of course, have the Outpost Natural Foods, but then um, some household names like Sunkist, uh, that's a farmer-owned cooperative, or um, REI is a you know, mammoth sporting goods cooperative. Uh, Vanguard, if you invest through Vanguard, uh, that's second only to BlackRock in terms of assets invested, and that is a cooperative owned by its member investors, which is why the rates are so low. Um, and so Land O'Lakes Dairies is another one. But so just because something is a cooperative doesn't necessarily mean it's a st- sustainability leader. Uh, but what I describe in the book is that it offers more flexibility. That business form offers more flexibility to pursue what we call the triple bottom line. So benefits that are financial, environmental, and social. Um, and in Spain, it there are a lot of larger cooperatives. So it provides a really interesting um, example for us to look at. So in the area of grocery stores, for instance, it's not just the small stores that are focused um, on natural organic foods that are cooperatives there. One of the co-ops I studied was called, it is called Consume. It was founded in the 1970s and It's owned by the workers and consumers. Uh, The whole purpose was to create a grocery store that was large enough to compete with European chain stores that were entering Spain at that time. And their main objective was to reduce prices for consumers. They were facing 20% inflation in the 1970s, so they really needed to provide lower costs for basic necessities like food. And they are now a sustainability leader. They serve 3 million consumer members. They have more than 14,000 workers who are um, owners in this cooperative. And they're leading the way in reducing their carbon footprint and waste. So you're seeing all these benefits at this much larger scale than just a local store could produce 
Well, good good tip. <clears throat> and for listeners who want to pick up the book this fall, it's called, again, Prosperity and the Fossil-Free Economy, Cooperatives and the Design of Sustainability Businesses. You're listening to UWM Today here on WUWM. Good to have you with us this week. I'm Tom Lujak, and joining us in our remote studio today is Melissa Scanlon. Melissa is the uh, new director of the UWM Center for Water Policy. She also uh, is the... Um, is positioned as the Line B E-Line Endowed Chair and Professor of Water Policy at UWM School of Freshwater Sciences. Uh, Melissa, in addition to, to being an academic and, and doing really significant work at, uh, around water policy, you're also an, an attorney. You, you got your law degree and, and then went on, I, I believe, and got a master's in environmental studies. Um, how does the fact that you are a lawyer, that you are versed in, in, uh, in, in the law, help you be uh, more successful in running the center? Oh, well, it's, it's really quite interesting because the School of Freshwater Sciences is made up mainly of scientists, as you might imagine, and economists, and I'm the only lawyer there. Um, and so it's really a, an interesting, fun mix of people. Um, with my legal background, I and as a as someone who came from teaching at a law school, I'm used to teaching students to be able to interpret statutes and regulations and understand how administrative agencies work. And all of that is really essential when you're looking at water policy um, and trying to understand how uh, how people are actually implementing the law. Um, and so I think all of, uh, that background helps me tremendously every day in this work. Will you be teaching students here at UWM or, or elsewhere in the UW system about water policy? Say someone who wants to you know, work in a waste treatment plant or be a water quality control expert for um, a, a, a company, a beverage company here. Uh, is it important that someone in that hands-on job uh, also understands policy? Um, I think it really is. And I will be teaching students at UWM. I'm excited to do that. I have a water law and policy course I'm offering this fall. And then in the spring, I am doing a teaching a practicum course where we'll do a mock uh, consulting firm. We'll have a live client, probably a government agency, could be the city or the Department of Natural Resources or another public entity that has a real water policy problem. And we'll have students working on interdisciplinary teams to solve that problem and um, provide a solution at the end of the semester. So it's going to be very hands-on learning in that class in the spring, which will be a lot of fun for people. And you'll get a sense of accomplishment by the end of it. Well, and probably great for the employers of these students uh, so who will benefit from hearing about what's happening with regulations and with the potential for new laws that would govern the way in which we use water. That's got to be also very important for companies, whether they're a cooperative or not. Uh, they all want to be successful, and understanding the law, I suspect, is is going to be crucial to that success. Right. And um, the students coming through the, the School of Freshwater Sciences are going to be a lot more 
um, policy savvy and able to understand the impact of different laws, even though they won't be lawyers when they graduate from that, they'll know when they need a lawyer um, and they'll they'll know to identify um, when their employer uh, uh, needs to comply with the law. So I think it it will be really helpful to have students coming through the program that way. And I should point out that uh, while the School of Freshwater Science uh, has in the past been a graduate program with master's and Ph.D. tracks, <clears throat> this fall for the first time it will begin offering uh, a four-year undergraduate degree in water studies, which uh, also means uh, more people to fit or fill that uh, talent pipeline that uh, I think everybody agrees will be growing as water becomes a more and more valuable resource that uh, all societies are going to be valuing. Oh, yes. We're really excited about the undergrad program and um, reaching the younger generation of new water policy and science leaders who can be coming through UWM. Yeah. Uh, One of the other really neat programs that uh, is connected to the Center for Water Policy is a journalist in residence program. Uh, Let's talk about that. First of all, um, who's our journalist in residence at UWM uh, working around water? And and then let's talk about uh, why that's important. Sure. Um, So the Brico Fund has supported a journalist in residence, which is a wonderful uh, addition to build our capacity at the Center for Water Policy. And uh, local journalist Dan Egan is uh, holding that position. Uh, He's working on book on phosphorus. Uh, that's a that nutrient that um, causes algae growth in water and so uh, and it also causes food to grow. So it's it's positive in one area and not so positive in another. And um, he is also going to be writing for um, different media outlets in this position and working with students to um, teach them about communications, science communications, and he won't have a formal role in the classroom, but he'll be able to work one-on-one with students. But that's really a great way to take the knowledge that comes out of the university and translate it and make it more easily accessible or understandable uh, to the average person who isn't pursuing a, a degree in water studies. I think that's Absolutely right. And we want to be connecting the dots and making it easy for people to understand what's going on in the world of water sciences. And uh, having a journalist who is able to do that will be a a great contribution. As you look ahead uh, to the next few years, what do you think is the biggest challenge that the Center for Water Policy needs or should be involved in? What, what's happening that, that uh, where we're at a crossroads and, and where policy or, or rules uh, are going to have a profound impact on whether or not we have water resources in the future? Well, you know, there are so many. It's the biggest challenge is actually prioritizing. And uh, because there are so many competing needs out there, one of the big issues for Milwaukee is replacing lead laterals um, and reducing lead pollution in the water, um, but also reducing lead pollution in homes, in, in paint. Uh, so that's 
going to be an enormous challenge and it's a potential opportunity with infrastructure funding that we'll we'll see where whether or not that's coming from the federal government but that of course is a big thing um regionally uh, as we move off of fossil fuels all these cities around the great lakes are going to need to um find renewable sources of electricity and so that will be a big challenge. Um, are we going to see wind power and wave power in, from the Great Lakes powering these cities? What are the scientific implications of that? Um, how will that be owned? Uh, going back to the cooperatives, how will the businesses be structured uh, to provide that renewable electricity? I think that's, um, that is a, going to be a major shift for us. And then, of course, um, the quicker we address greenhouse gases, um, the less disruption we're going to have from climate change. But we will have climate disruption. We, we're experiencing it now. Um, and that will pose infrastructure issues for these Great Lakes cities as well with rising and falling water levels, um, rainwaters that are turning into floodwaters. Uh, periods of extreme drought, all of that we will need to be working on uh, through the Center for Water Policy. Yeah, uh, a big, big, long agenda for you. No, no, no uh, uh, loss of things to work on. I, I want right. to come back and to... And that was the short list. That was the short list. Well, let me come back to one of the items on your list, wind power. I There recently were stories of the federal government approving some large wind turbine farms uh, out in the ocean off the east coast of the U.S. I didn't realize that there's discussion about possibly putting turbines in the Great Lakes. Is is that for real? Um, there was uh, recently a report on wind assets around the country and the Great Lakes, uh, particularly off of the coasts of the state of Michigan and Wisconsin have a lot of wind assets. So there's what I mean by that is there's a lot of potential for wind power, whether or not that is going to be technically feasible, environmentally feasible um, to power ourselves off wind, culturally desirable. I mean, there are so many different um, issues with deciding how to switch to renewable energy. But yes, it's it's definitely a, a possibility within the Great Lakes. And I think um, people in uh, around Lake Erie are a little further along. Uh, that's where we'll probably see wind power first. But the wind resource is quite strong in Lake Michigan. Yeah, well, for those of us who live near the lake, uh, the cooler near the lake uh, or the lake effect, which is also the name of a great show here on WUWM, I mean, it's for real. You always have this breeze coming in, even, even on the warmest days. And you're right, it doesn't make sense not to find out if we could put to use this resource that doesn't cost anything, right? No, right. No and of course, it would have to be in a, you know, the least environmentally destructive way and make sure that we're not interfering with bird migrations. Um, and so all of that has to be carefully looked at. But I think it is it's a potential for us in the Great Lakes. Just a minute or so left. Um, let me ask you this. How optimistic are you that uh, that we're going to be successful with changing some of the policies, creating rules that that allow us to take advantage of the resources and not waste them. Oh, I'm 
very optimistic. Uh, I think that I trust in human ingenuity. I think that we all want to make the world a better place. And we are going to figure this out because the alternative is not really viable. Melissa, we wish you the very best uh, and all of your colleagues to figure it out. There's a lot of figuring to do as you went through the list of challenges that we have, but we're so glad that you are here at UWM and now executive director of the Center for Water Policy. Thanks for joining us today. Thanks for having me. Melissa Scanlon, who serves as the Line B Eline Endowed Chair and Professor in Water Policy and, again, Head of the Water Center, our guest on this edition of UWM Today. That's all for this week's program. Thanks for joining us. We'll see you next week at the same time. Take care, everybody. I'm Tom Lujak. You've been listening to UWM Today with host Tom Lujak, the weekly program where you get to meet the people behind one of America's top research universities. University of Wisconsin-Milwaukee, playing a vital role in shaping the future of Milwaukee and Wisconsin, UWM's diversity, academic excellence, and world-class research contributes to the region's economic development and quality of life. Learn more at uwm.edu.